We should take a trip. Mean it? Yeah. Go. All right, stop playing. When was it taken? Yesterday evening. I might have found something to help you find those kids. Oh, my God. It's going to set the town on fire. They found those kids dead up there north of the campsite. We got a situation on our hands here. Seems you know a lot about it. I think that badge is going to protect you. Forgotten how things work around here. Are you really leaving town? I don't know how to explain this to you. Wow. Now, is this what you really want, or are you just looking for your ticket out of here? I just have this like, feeling in my stomach. Hello? June, what's going on? You're scaring me. Something's not right. Where are the keys? I came here to die, not to live. People around here don't call it living anyway. They call it surviving. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. I'm Mike. Joining me, as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Mr. Venom? Greetings and salutations, nomads. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good, Mike. How you doing? <laughs> Another one where I was interested. How are you going to greet everyone? <laughs> Based <laughs> on <laughs> doing good, doing good. Joining us as well as always, it's Don and Ellie. What's up, Don? Hey, what's going on, everyone? see we have a synopsis here that says alone and isolated at the family ranch tommy and his sister june suddenly find themselves being terrorized and hunted by a pair of nomadic killers short and to the point the way synopsis should be so general thoughts time venom tell me about the dead of night Mm, okay i had a i had kind of an interesting journey with this movie this is a movie that, for the most part, I really enjoyed. Um, I might even go so far as to say loved, but the problem is, for me, the last five minutes ruined this movie for me. Like, I was completely on board with all the uh, the performances, the characterization, editing, score, uh, the scenery. The movie is shot in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and it's beautiful kind of desert scenery. It looks really cool. Um not a lot of kills, but you know, at the same time, it's it's in it's unrated indie horror, so you know you 
sometimes it's a gore fest and sometimes it's just not rated, you know, for language or just because they didn't go through the MPAA, whatever the case may be. But, um, you know, we only get like really one on-screen death here. So it's definitely not gory, all that violent, though it is. I will say that there's a few moments of really good tension throughout the film. Like I actually found myself, you know, like paying really hard attention to the movie for different events that were occurring. So it's not like it lost my attention. It's got pretty good pacing. Um, I didn't really find myself bored at all. I mean, I mean, we get we get a kill in the very opening scene. So um, there's a lot of action. It's not a long time to wait. They don't waste any time on backstory. Um, this is a very ambiguous film. Well, ambiguous killers, I guess, would be a better way to put it. We don't really find out a lot about them, if anything. But, you know, I at the same time, I don't necessarily need that. I'm not saying that that's a bad point. But, like I said, after this is a this is a 90-minute movie, after 85 minutes, I was just ready to give this the most positive review. And then the last five minutes, there are two specific things that happen in the last five minutes that just... One of them happens and we get no explanation. And it's literally like one of the biggest what-the-fuck moments of the year thus far. Where the movie takes a complete left turn and, you know, suddenly the antagonist isn't who we thought it was, but then the movie ends without any kind of explanation. Um, we're not even given like a hundred percent clarity on what happens to one of the antagonists. Um, the surprise antagonist at the end. So it, it's a movie that has a lot of plot holes there. there there's definitely more that this movie could have, could have um, included more backstory. Like I said, maybe not necessarily on the killers, but more an explanation as to what the hell happened in the last five minutes of this film. Um, obviously we're not going to talk about it here. We'll talk about it in the spoiler section, but it, overall, let's just say overall, I enjoyed the movie. I, I don't dislike it, but I absolutely hate the last five minutes. Okay. Uh, Don and Ellie, how did you think about the dead of night? Uh, I really hate being negative and Ellie for the third week in a row, but <laughs> I, yeah, I know. I hate that. That I had made that pun myself, but yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of this one. Um, uh, I, I wanted to like this more, more than I did. And that's the thing that kills me with, like I said, being the third, third time in a row with a negative film. Like Venom said, the story is there. I like the, the idea of the general setup, the strange nomadic killers wandering into town and disturbing the lives of these people. Uh, I, the first, I would say, half hour, I'm on board, I'm, in, I'm engaged, it's, I'm right there with it. But then it kind of just starts turning into this family drama that it just really lacks in the kills. Like he said, there's very few on-screen kills until the finale. A lot of this is really just back and forth banter between the two that I'm just, I'm not feeling as engaged with as the rest of as the film before it. It's really not until I would say like the hour mark where it starts to even, it starts to pick back up again. The finale is fun. I like where it's going. The cat and mouse chases, the, you know, stalking scenes, that's well handled. I like where it, uh, the idea of what's going on there. 
like Venom said, the finale just shoots this thing right in the face and then just shits all over the body. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, this is definitely, I would say, e- among the worst fin- worst final ten minutes or final half or whatever you want to say for a film that I've seen this year. Just, ugh. <laughs> the idea of where it's going, it's just, like you said, there's no explanation for what's going on. It, it, yeah, it works on a shocking level, like as a what-the-fuck kind of a thing. But, again, there's no setup to it. It just It's completely overrun and it's ignored, and it just doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the film. And, and it just it really, really sours my view of the film. Like I said, I wanted to like this more than I did, but I'm I'm just not feeling it as much. So, yeah, mm-hmm. third week in a row, I'm not as high on a film as everybody else. That's okay, Don. We we recorded uh, the main show last night, and I think I was the only one who hated both movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you, you don't have three weeks in a row of crapping on a film, so. <laughs> well, let's see. Maybe we'll do three months in a row on uh, on the main show. oh man all right well as far as i go um i'm actually going to kind of side with dawn on this one um i didn't hate the movie or anything uh i felt it started strong uh the cold opening was cool i thought it set up something interesting look of the of the killers in this i found interesting kind of cool a little unique Mm -hmm. And uh, I was on board at that point, but I kind of feel like Dawn did where it kind of settled into like a family drama where I was like, all right, all right, let's 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 get on with this. Uh, we we do get like um, at some point we have like a setup for another kill, but then it kind of takes a quick cut away from that. And uh, yeah, it's about I think at the hour mark when. I think I would say average about somewhere at the hour mark where uh-huh. things kind of pick back up and then I'm like, okay, here we go. And from that point on, you know, I, I was fine with it. And then like both of you guys have already brought up, it takes a turn that was kind of like, what the hell? And then we don't really find out any reason or backing for it and then the movie just kind of finishes out and Uh i felt i felt that was kind of like too big of a twist or whatever you would call a turn to Uh for it to just kind of happen with no exposition or nothing like not even a flashback or anything to indicate where the hell this just came from um Lance Hendrickson's in this movie, in case we didn't bring it up yet. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> and he's pretty much there because he's Lance Hendrickson, because uh, I, I don't understand why else um, he's there. He he didn't seem very well utilized or to be a significant enough part of the movie to justify the casting. But, hey, I guess if you know, you're making an indie horror movie, if you're able to throw Lance Hendrickson's name on the box... It's never a bad thing, so maybe that's <laughs> to the extent of him needing to be in the movie. But uh, yeah, overall, yeah, I just think too big of a section of the movie for me was a little on the dull side. But uh, not bad, just it, it wasn't it wasn't my thing. 
Mm-hmm. For whatever it's worth, I didn't hate the family drama. Um, I didn't really think they overdid it. I know it takes up a good piece of the second act, but it's one of those things that I, I started to feel bad for Tommy, even though he was being selfish in the, you know, the decisions that he was making or the decisions that he wanted his sister to make, you know, they were, they were definitely more in his favor than hers. But I, I don't know. I, I, I think it added a little bit of emotional weight to the characters because, you know, one of the, one of my biggest complaints of horror movies is that a lot of times, uh, you know, and uh, protagonists are just there to be killed. You know, they're just there to be fodder. And I felt like um, in this one, I actually cared. Like, I actually cared if Tommy and June survived. You know, maybe not a a great amount of care, but at least there was some there. Like, I was rooting for them, if you will. Oh, Um, I agree. I mean, I I, I was too. And like I said, I I was – it's well done to the point that I'm not – like, you you guys know me. You know that I'm not the – biggest fan of the slow burn stuff. I didn't mind what was going on between the two of them. They actually had a fine relationship together, but like Mike said, after we get the initial first kills, it's not until the hour mark that they actually even discover that there's even killers around. So I think that's just more like what we were, what I was saying is that it just, it kind of feels plotting and just like, I want to get back on with this. Yeah. I will admit that the tone of the movie changes like periodically, like obviously um, early on in the film, our, our main protagonist, Tommy, as I mentioned earlier, becomes a prime or I didn't actually mention it. I'm sorry. Off the air. I said that um, he becomes a prime suspect in a double murder. Um, so it almost turns into a little bit of a police procedural, not literally. It's, it doesn't turn into a buddy cop movie by any stretch. But the scene where they find the bodies of the first people murdered and then the interrogation of multiple people after, obviously, most specifically Tommy, it definitely had a police procedural feel. So I will admit that the tone was kind of not quite all over the place, but it was a little wavering at times. And, you know, that definitely I could see how that would bother some people. And, you know. Even though I don't 100% agree, I do understand both of your points about it turning into a little bit of a family melodrama. Uh, because it did, ultimately. And it's it's a matter of if you're okay with that. Uh, me, myself, I, I've never had it. As, as long as it's well-acted and well-written, I have no problem with it. And when I say well-written, I'm not talking stellar. I'm saying there's no lines in it that make me roll my eyes. There's no line deliveries that make me cringe at how bad an actor on screen is. This movie, at no point really, until the last five minutes, like I said, um, at no point really frustrated me or bored me. Like I said, I didn't find myself looking at my phone or my laptop I was, um, you know, once the once the first couple of scenes, the two cold opens, if you will, uh, occur, I was definitely into it. I was invested. And yeah, especially, I mean, the look of the killers, really, and the way that they act kind of keeps you involved because they're obviously two people. They're two men in costumes, but one of them acts very animalistic, which is really, like, odd. Neither of them speak at any point in the film, but just the, their mannerisms, the way they communicate with each other. They literally mm-hmm. communicate like wolves. They're howling and whatnot. Like that kept me invested. Like I, I, I was hoping that we might see something, um, uh, you know, more about them. But the movie, like I said, it has, 
It has too many plot holes. It has a few red herrings in it, too, that are just pointless. Like, there's a character in the movie named Richard Hall. Um, he's some kind of real estate, like, broker or developer, and everybody in the town hates him because he's trying to buy up all this farmland. But guess what? They talk about it for a minute, and then we never hear about it again. We never see the character again. Nothing. So it's like, why did you even include that? Uh, you know, only was it because just because one of his kids was a potential victim that that doesn't seem like it's warranted to spend this whole scene watching this guy try to address the town and watching them just either boo him or just give him complete silence because they obviously all hate him. So that's just one of a few plot points in the movie that they just kind of left dangling. Um, obviously the major one is, you know, the, the crazy event in the last five minutes, but there's still other examples of that throughout the film. So I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say it feels like an unfinished film, but I, I literally think that another like three to five minutes would have really put this movie over the top. Give me something about that character at the end who does the character turn, you know, it's like, tell me something. Why? Don't just leave it dangling. And that's exactly what they did. They left it dangling and we have no idea. So when it comes to the ambiguity of the two killers, I'm very okay with it because they look cool. They look like mysterious, you know, like the, like the synopsis said, nomads. They're nomads that just come into town, kill people while they're there, and then they just move on to the next town. Um, that kind of ambiguity I'm okay with, but with the major, major left turn that the movie takes in the last five minutes, that needed to be explained. It, we needed to get something, a little something. Because then I sat after the movie, after watching it the first time, I literally sat in my living room, you know, with no noise or anything, and I'm just trying to think, okay, what did that mean? Did, does this, does it mean this? I, I ended up coming up with like maybe four different scenarios that could explain the events of the last five minutes, but none of them were satisfactory. Like none of them were satisfying. So it's like, I, I just, for the life of me, don't know what they were thinking about with that ending. And maybe that's their intention too. I mean, we got to at least potentially give them a little bit of credit. Maybe their intention was to confuse us. Maybe their intention was to leave us frustrated and walk away wanting more. I mean, most of us wanted more, but I don't think we wanted more for a good reason. <laughs> we wanted more because there was so little in the film. So, yeah. I wanted to understand yeah. more of that last 10 minutes, that's for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Just, <laughs> give me something. You don't need to hand me an explanation on a silver platter. I've never been that guy. But you also can't have a major event like what occurs in the last five minutes and then just not mention it again. It's, it's just too big. I mean, literally, when the when the when the thing happened, my heart started racing and I, and I got excited. I'm like, oh, wow, something that I'd never in a million years saw coming. And it's true. I didn't see that coming remotely. Um, some people may have been able to pick it out, but I definitely wasn't. And then when it happens, it's like, oh, wow, there's a whole nother angle to this movie. And I'm excited. And then the movie fucking ends. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> you, you you subverted my excitement. You got you did something different that I wasn't expecting, but then you just leave it dangling. And in the long run, it really meant nothing, which, you know, uh, when we get to the walkthrough, you kind of understand that ultimately the last five minutes, even though it was a major shock, didn't really do much for the film ultimately. But like I said, we'll explain that during the walkthrough. Uh, 
Anything else you guys want to add before we uh, get all spoilery? Uh, no, all I would just bring up the fact that, yeah, I because I, I forgot to mention it in my initial general thoughts. Yeah, I, I was kind of like hanging on to see if there was something more to like almost like the quasi animalistic nature yep. of the killers kind of way the way you would catch them communicating with each other. I was like, OK, is there something there also? I mean, because you combine that with um, their getup or their mm-hmm. the way they're dressed and all that stuff and i was like okay maybe there's something there that's gonna get revealed and no not really it it was just cosplay basically (laughs) 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 all right so shall we yeah let's do it yeah i'm good Oh, like I said, this movie, as we've all three of us have already said, you know, this movie isn't uh, Citizen Kane by any stretch. So, you know, we'll probably whip through this walkthrough. Uh, Our movie opens with a gentleman driving his truck by himself on a a very beautiful landscape. Like I said, the film is shot in Albuquerque. Uh, I'm not so sure if the film is set in Albuquerque because they never mention what town they're in. But by looking at the credits, you can see that it was shot in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I even have a friend from New Mexico and told him about it. And, you know, he, he said, yeah, he knows exactly like all the parts of uh, Albuquerque where they shot that movie. He's been to most of those locations. So it was kind of cool hearing that. So anyway, a uh, guy driving a truck by himself on the road. Uh, suddenly he sees a body, a human body lying in the road, right in the middle of the road, just sprawled out there. He exits his truck. He goes to check the body. While he's checking the body, uh, someone comes up from behind him and wraps a rope around his neck, um, starting the choking process. And then while the one is choking him, the one that originally was lying on the ground pulls out a big hunting knife and stabs the guy a couple of times in what really felt like a pretty uncomfortable scene because there's no score playing. And whenever you have like a violent death occur with no score and no like fancy cinematography, it it seems really bleak and like uncomfortable for me. So kudos there. Uh, It's a, it's a good little scene. Yeah. So I I think mm -hmm. it's especially kind of terrifying when, there's like a lead up to the killing too. Like they didn't just walk up to him and stab him and leave him to die. It's it's kind of like walk up to him, mess with him, yeah. and there's like the initial stabbing, and then they kind of are mm-hmm. hovering over the body, and before he's like kind of finish off. So exactly, yeah. And they and after stabbing him, they do finish him off with the rope. They complete the strangulation. And he falls over and dies. Uh, Let me describe the hunters. Basically, the two killers, uh, what they're doing is they're wearing wolf skins. And what I mean by that is it's basically the entire skin of a wolf, head to tail. Uh, The head part basically sits over their face, so it acts like a mask, so it looks like they're, you know, wolves. And then the rest of the wolf skin is kind of just draped over their shoulders, not quite past their waist like a coat. But, you know, it just looks really cool. And like I said, the fact that these guys, the way that they communicate in like noises and things like that, they're not speaking to each other. Um, It just adds a little sense of menace to the whole thing. So, yeah, good little cold open right after that. um, One of the killers uh, actually takes all the victim's rings off his hand. So apparently... See, that instantly takes away a little bit of the animalistic um, sense of these kills because one of them is robbing the victims. 
So obviously they're not a, they're not completely rabid, you know, or feral, whatever word you want to go with. Especially the bigger of the two guys, you can tell that he's like a ringleader, and um, but and he definitely has a sense of intelligence and a sense of uh, the value of a dollar because, like I said, he's constantly uh, ripping off his victims after he kills them, taking whatever the, they have of value on them. Later on, uh, when one of the killers kills a married woman, he actually takes her wedding ring off the finger. So, yeah, interesting. So you've got, like, one really animalistic killer and the other one more like a ringleader type, you know, the the silent but deadly ringleader. So after all of this, we get our title card. We then meet Maddie and Colt. They are two uh, younger people, maybe not quite teenagers, but younger folks. Um, they are dating, and Maddie is at the rodeo watching her boyfriend Colt ride a bull, which he does successfully and actually wins his division at the rodeo, so it's like a big celebratory night. They decide to leave uh, the rodeo to you know, find a quiet place to have sex, obviously, and uh, then we're transported to a diner. And at the diner, we see our buddy Lance Hendrickson playing Earl. Earl looks like he's like the owner and chef or cook of this diner. Did I just say chef in a diner? (laughs) Owner cook of a diner. And um, he's basically saying goodbye to his favorite waitress, June, who is, of course, who later we'll find out is um, uh, Tommy's sister. But at this point, you know, uh, all we know is that Lance Hendrickson Uh, Playing Earl is trying to talk this woman out of leaving town for one reason or another. We don't know why she's leaving quite yet, but Earl obviously doesn't want her to leave. She's made up her mind. Obviously, she's leaving in the morning. And, you know, that pretty much is the end of that conversation. After that, we then see that Colt and Maddie found their little quiet spot. They had sex. It's it's post-coitus conversation at this point. They're both, you know, just kind of naked, laying in bed. Uh, while when they are attacked now, Colt drives an RV, like you know, a mobile home type thing. So you know, realize the aesthetic there that they're basically in a moving house, and suddenly um, the two killers are kind of taunting them from outside, hitting the side of the RV, blah blah blah. Uh, the long and the short of it is, Colt is killed and Maddie is taken. We basically see Maddie get pulled out of frame by one of the killers, and the scene ends. So it's the next morning, and we are introduced to Tommy. And uh, you know, Tommy is just like a you know young guy, local guy, obviously. Um, turns out that is June's brother, and he's also, you know, having some issues with the fact that June is leaving because it's his only family. Later in the film, we'll find out that their parents are both dead and that Tommy and June basically have only had each other for years. But now June is leaving town for one reason or another because she's always wanted to leave town. Um, But we still don't know what the specific reason is yet at this point in the film. Um, So Tommy's obviously depressed. But like I said, that morning, Tommy is doing his rounds on his property. And he finds tire tracks that he doesn't recognize. And uh, just before finding those tire tracks, he actually finds a piece of cloth, like a little strip of like maybe the cuff of a sweater stuck on a piece of barbed wire. So obviously it looks like somebody ran through there and got their shirt caught and left a little piece of material on the barbed wire. 
Tommy, being the good citizen that he is, decides to call the police, let them know, hey, while I was doing my rounds on my property today, I found tire tracks that I don't recognize. I know that there's two kids missing, um, so you may want to go look north of blah, blah, blah ranch. I forget the exact name of the ranch, but he tells the police maybe you you want to look uh, up north. Um and then basically we see the sheriff and one of his deputies uh, jump into a four by four and start going north to the area that Tommy suggested. And they, of course, do end up finding the bodies of Cody and Maddie, both dead. Um, Cody is outside of the RV with stabbed by like a branch, but but like a thick, like a almost like a log. So obviously, you know, one of these guys is really strong because he drove this thing through Tommy's torso. And then Maddie is found shot in the head inside the RV. So um, obviously, because they found the bodies based on Tommy's tip, Tommy instantly becomes the prime suspect in the murder, even though he was the one who called the police to tell him the information. Luke, who is the deputy in question, obviously has some kind of past with Tommy and his sister because you know, he's instantly a jerk to Tommy, asks some questions in a very condescending way. And then when Tommy finally te- says, get off my land, because Luke flat out accuses him of potentially being the murderer. Obviously, that frustrates Tommy. He tells him to get off his land. And, you know, the deputy leaves and says, you know, uh, I'm sure we'll all be back real soon. So. Um, after talking to Luke uh, later in the next scene, uh, we see June driving around. Uh, she stops at a convenience store, picks up a coffee, and then jumps in her truck and starts driving away. While she's driving away, Luke, uh, the, sh- uh, the deputy, pulls her over. They have a quick conversation. Obviously, they've dated at some point. Um, she must have broken up, broken up with him for some reason. And this is also when the scene where we find out why June is leaving. She's leaving because she is now engaged. She is engaged to an army GI who is stationed in Germany, and she just takes the opportunity to marry him and get the hell out of New Mexico, which is basically something she's been dreaming about for years. So, like I said, after Luke pulls her over and they have a little exchange back and forth, she goes on her merry way, and suddenly she sees a pickup truck behind her and if people are paying really good attention they'll realize it's the pickup truck from the opening scene where you know the the guy that got killed on the road by himself um these uh so the truck pulls up right on june's tail from behind they start doing the weird swerving thing she pulls over to the side or just pulls off a little bit to the side to let them go by but they're not passing her they're just kind of swerving back and forth behind her so she finally just stops she stops her truck and in the process of stopping her truck her hat comes off her head and flies out the window um Unfortunately, the hat lands right in front of the truck of the people that are chasing her. No one ends up getting out of their car. They just have like like a little five second standoff. And then June just decides to leave. And the two guys in the truck do not follow her. Um, But then, you know, the way that they frame the shot, they show, you know, they show June driving off in the in the distance. But then the hat on the ground. So remember the hat. It'll come into play later. All right. 
Um, at this point, we're introduced to Amber and Ryan. They are friends of Tommy and June, obviously longtime childhood friends. Uh, they've known each other for a long time. They all live, um, you know, fairly close to each other. And Amber and Ryan have set up a surprise party for June because, as we all know, this is her last night in, in New Mexico and she's off to Germany in the morning. Um, this is when we get a little bit more information about, you know, the fact that she barely knows this guy. You know, that uh, we, we don't really get like a whole story on how they met. But Tommy, you know, basically, you know, implies that this guy is basically a stranger, but she's marrying him and running off to a whole other country. Um, so they get into a little bit of a discussion um, after they after they kind of have a little bit of a shouting match, a little, um, you know, argument. Uh, a horse just shows up on Tommy's property or not on Ryan's property. Excuse me. They're at Ryan and Amber's house at this point. Uh, a lost horse shows up. Um, Tommy, for some reason, recognizes the horse and decides to return it to the owner, who happens to be an elderly gentleman named Ronnie that we met quite briefly earlier in the film. You know, cool older guy. Um, he brings the horse back to Ronnie's house. But when he arrives at Ronnie's house with the horse, he hears gunshots and he hears screaming. So, you know, rather than just running into the house all, you know, willy nilly. He runs around the side of the house, looks into one of the side windows, and he witnesses Ronnie and his wife uh, being murdered by these two uh, nomads, you know, with their wolf skins on. Uh, they end up stabbing the wife to death, and they strangle Ronnie while he's tied in a chair. So, yeah, these two definitely enjoy playing with their food, if you will, before they deal with it. Um Let's see. Uh, this is another scene where we hear the killers communicating with each other through animal noises, almost like hyenas or wolf. Um, obviously, they're wearing wolf skins. So, you, you know, I'm going to say it sounds like wolves howling, kind of yelping at each other, things like that. That's how they communicate. Tommy waits for the truck to pull away. Tommy basically hides behind the house. Um, when he hears the truck pull away that the, that the killers are driving, he ends up walking into the house, um, you know, kind of surveys the situation, and then out of nowhere, he's ambushed. Um, the, the smaller, more animalistic of the two killers basically attacks Tommy, literally as he's in the process of dialing the phone to call June. Um, he, he ends up getting attacked before he says anything, so June has no idea who this is. By the way, I'm not sure what the actual year this movie is set in, but there are no cell phones. Um, everybody's kind of relying on landlines in the house. Or, or maybe the area that they're in just doesn't get a uh, mobile signal. So maybe they just don't have any. But yeah, so, you know, it, it, it your guess Texas. is... It, it or it's Texas. Texas. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, let's see, where are we? So like I said, Tommy is ambushed when he goes in the house. Fortunately, he is able to escape uh, the clutches of the two killers. Unfortunately, he does take a, a shotgun shell to the leg. So he's got some buckshot in his uh, left leg. And of course, the horse that he rode in on has run away because of all the commotion. So at this point, Tommy um, kind of dresses his wounds as, as quickly as he can and starts walking back to Amber and Ryan's house, which ends up taking a while. So this will be the last time we see Tommy for a few minutes. So, um, so it's now that evening. Everyone is in bed. Um, Ryan, 
uh, Ryan, Amber, and June. Uh, Ryan, for some reason, decides to get up and see if Tommy ever got back, because obviously they all went to bed before Tommy got back. So Ryan gets up, he goes outside, he sits next to the fire, and suddenly he hears a noise in the barn. He goes out to the barn, and he is, of course, ambushed by the two killers, and we don't actually see what happens right now. Um, so basically, as soon as the killers ambush Ryan, June wakes up because she thinks she hears something. I think that when they grabbed Ryan, he may have yelped or you know had a little bit of a yell, and she heard that, which woke her up. She then gets up um, and realizes that both guys are missing. Her brother is nowhere to be found, and neither is Ryan. And then suddenly, she starts once again hearing the very familiar animal noises, animal calls and whatnot coming from the barn. But June, being the smart girl that she is, does not just go running into the barn like an idiot. She goes back in the house and arms herself. She gets a gun. She has a six-shooter. She loads it. And she goes and actually wakes up Amber. Uh, rather than just leaving Amber asleep in an empty house, she wakes up Amber. She convinces Amber that there's something wrong. Tommy and Ryan are both not answering. And she thinks she hears something in the barn. So um, once June is able to convince Amber that there's something wrong, they go outside. Um, they don't see anything out of the ordinary, but they also don't see Ryan or Tommy. It's basically just, you know, nighttime at the ranch. So they decide to go to Tommy's truck. Tommy's truck is obviously still there because don't forget, he rode his horse uh, to Ronnie's house or he rode Ronnie's horse to Ronnie's house. So Tommy's truck is still there. They decide to hide inside the truck thinking that the keys are in the uh, in in the truck. By the way, did you notice that uh, that kind of recurring theme in this movie? Every people would get into somebody else's truck and then look for the keys. Like, who's leaving their keys in the truck? <laughs> that, that that was an odd thing. I understand Must, that maybe it's like an old maybe, desolate place type thing. Yeah, yeah. You know? Like you're living in the country, everybody mm -hmm. trusts each other, but. Yeah, uh, June tries two different trucks, looks for the keys, and can't find any keys. So um, so her and Amber are now in Tommy's truck, hiding from the killers. They lock the doors once they go in, and they're just basically waiting there. Um, then suddenly one of them starts taunting them from outside the truck, you know, slapping the door, slapping the bed in the back, you know, just making random noises, basically trying to lure them to come out of the truck. They, of course, refuse to get out of the truck because they have half a brain. So good for them. What they decide. Oh, oh, no, I'm sorry. At this point, then Ryan, Amber's husband, starts to crawl out of the barn, out of the darkness at the entrance of the barn. And he's crawling. He doesn't look like he's particularly injured. He's not bleeding or anything. Obviously, he's been attacked, you know, in some way, shape or form because he's kind of dazed. He doesn't really know what's quite going on. And unfortunately, as soon as he steps foot outside of the barn, here comes the larger of the two killers, comes up from behind him, and unfortunately slices uh, Ryan's throat, slashes his throat. Um, he actually does something to try to be funny, the killer, that is. Um, after he slices Ryan's throat, he actually uses him as a marionette and grabs his hand and waves at Amber. He makes he, uh, The killer makes dead Ryan wave at his wife, which... If you're sadistic, it's kind of funny, 
<laughs> so um, I found that mildly interesting. See, because again, animals wouldn't really do that. So that guy obviously has a certain level of intelligence, you know, the larger of the two killers. So um, at one point, uh, so anyway, after Ryan is killed, the girls still do not come out of the truck. They stay in the truck. And then finally they hear something slam into the truck. Um, they're hiding down on the floorboards of the truck. It's a rather big pickup, you know. Um, they they both poke their heads out. And it, it turns out that the killer threw Ryan's body onto the hood of the truck so that his face, with his eyes still open and freshly slit throat, are staring right into the cab of the truck through the windshield. Of course, when Amber peeks up and sees what's happening, she starts to freak out. June is obviously trying to, you know, calm her down. Um, let's see. They end up... Um, oh, that's what, what happens. The larger of the two killers ends up... Uh, he begins to start shooting the truck from a distance. Not from up close, from maybe, I don't know, like 20, 25 feet away maybe. Uh, basically, he shoots out the tires of the truck so that they can't get away, but then he continues kind of shooting just into the side and things like that. June finds a container of motor oil on the, on the floor of the truck. She stares at it for a second and then tells Amber that she has a plan. She has a, an idea. What ends up happening is as the killer outside the truck is shooting at it, at one point when he shoots, she sprays some of the oil onto the windshield and screams. Of course, it's nighttime, so the killer can't really tell that the liquid isn't red, um, or at least extremely dark red, um, that it doesn't look like blood. But he sees it. He hears June screaming. June at that point, voluntarily opens the door to the truck and starts crawling out of the truck. Um, and then the killer with the gun obviously starts doing his slow march towards June's body because he thinks he hit her with the shotgun. Uh, and then as he's about to uh, give June the finishing blow, um, Amber beeps the horn on the truck, which distracts the killer enough so that... Uh, June, who is not injured, suddenly springs up to her feet and she shoots the killer right in the head. Unfortunately, the killer barely flinches and she definitely connects because yeah. there's a blood spray. <laughs> I was so a little like, huh? <laughs> yeah, with the kind mm -hmm. of lack of reaction, I was like, did I? I was like, did he? Because I thought I saw him get shot in the head and then I was like, does I miss seeing that? Did he glance his shoulder or something? <laughs> yeah, I thought the same thing. I thought that maybe when she shot him, she hit his shotgun, and that that wasn't blood; it was actually sparks. Oh. So I actually yeah. wound the scene. Yeah, that, that was my initial thought: was that she inadvertently just hit the gun he was holding, not him. Exactly. Yep, that's what I thought too. But then I went back and I, I actually froze the frame, and yes, it's CG, but it is blood coming from his face. Um, she did actually hit him in the head, but like I said, he barely flinches and he notices that Amber runs out of the passenger side of the truck. And for some reason he chases after her instead of June, the person who just shot him. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Um, let's see. Ooh, page two. All right. So, um, as June is, um, still hiding from the killer, obviously, 
she is attacked from behind and unfortunately she drops her gun and just as the killer lifts his arms uh he's got like a bludgeoning instrument in his hand like a cudgel um basically as the killer raises his hands to give june the final blow tommy shows up of course tommy arrives at the exact right moment he's able to fight the killer off while June grabs the gun and she shoots this one in the head, but the difference is this one stays down. So when she shot the bigger guy in the head, he barely flinched. But when she shot the smaller guy, the one who was more animalistic, he stays down. One shot to the head, done. And he is done, legitimately. No no jumping out at the end of the movie or anything stupid. So yeah, so we're down to one killer. As I said, the larger one in, at this point is chasing Amber. Unfortunately, he is able to catch up to Amber and kill her with his shotgun. Um, it's nothing too special as far as how it looks because, unfortunately, it's a, it's a long-distance shot. Like, the camera is, like, probably a good 50, 60 feet away from them. So you just kind of see it down in the distance. The guy aim his shotgun right at Amber's face and pull the trigger. So Amber has been dispatched. At this point, Tommy and June go back to the house and arm themselves. Tommy is able to find a shotgun or rifle. I wasn't sure which it was, but he finds himself a gun. Uh, June obviously still has her pistols, so they are now both armed. And they decide to start, uh, they decide to have a plan because they realize, or at least Tommy realizes, that the larger killer will be back. There's no way that he's just going to leave. Um, so what they end up doing is they take the dead killer and they prop him up in a chair so that it looks like he's just sitting there waiting for his, his cohort to come back. Uh, when the guy, when the, the larger killer comes back, he's driving, you know, the truck that he stole at the beginning of the movie and in, in a pretty horrific sight, he's actually dragging Amber's dead body behind the truck. Uh, she's tied to a rope tied to the tow hitch of the truck and he's just dragging her back to the house why he decides to do that who knows but um you know kind of sad to see amber's dead body just getting dragged behind the truck but once the killer gets out of the truck and sees his buddy lifeless on the chair he walks up to him you know he checks to make sure that he is dead and when when he realizes that his friend is dead he like you know screeches out doesn't still doesn't say anything coherent he just kind of you know gets upset and you know screeches at that moment tommy and june jump out of the house both of them with guns both of them shooting at him unfortunately they both miss but uh the killer ends up running away and leaving his truck there with the keys in it Tommy and June then jump into the truck and uh, start to take off. Unfortunately, the killer is able to get his shotgun in time and shoot the truck from behind, which ends up uh, running the truck kind of off the road. I'm not sure if he shot, because we don't actually see it. The screen goes blank, and we just hear the gunshot, and then we hear the truck kind of slam into something. And then when the when the when the movie fades back in, the truck is basically already out of commission, just kind of on the ground looking all shitty. The killer slowly walks towards the truck to finish off his last two survivors. First, he pulls Tommy out of the truck and throws him on the ground. Then he goes back into the truck to pull June out of the truck. Um, at this exact moment, the killer uh, 
basically leaves June alone for a second and decides to go choke out Tommy. So he jumps on Tommy. Uh, Tommy's laying on the ground face down. The killer, or face up, excuse me. The killer jumps on top of him and tries to choke him with the uh, with the cudgel club thing uh, that the other killer was using. Um, he's choking Tommy. Um, June is kind of freaking out. She doesn't seem to have her gun anymore. Or she does have her gun, but the angle that she's at, you know, she might end up hitting Tommy. So she doesn't fire. Luckily, at that exact moment, Deputy Luke shows up with the flashing lights on the car. The siren is on. He's like a knight in shining armor showing up to the scene. He confronts the killer. Obviously, the killer doesn't speak. And obviously, the killer doesn't comply with any of the cop's commands, any of Deputy Luke's you know, commands to put your hands up or get on your knees or whatever. And finally, Luke just shoots the killer twice and the killer falls. All right, folks, get ready for your left turn right here. <laughs> yeah. After the killer is dead, you know, everybody seems to be calm. Luke basically walks up to Tommy and June and asks, where's everybody else? Anybody, you know, where is everybody? And June informs him everybody's dead. Um, they got everybody. And then, and then Luke, you could see the look on his face, the expression on his face kind of change. And he's like, really? Everybody's dead? It's just you two? Uh, and June says, yeah, it's just us. And at that exact moment, Luke lifts up his gun and unceremoniously shoots Tommy right in the face. Um, uh, unfortunately, another off-screen kill. Um, not that I really want to see Tommy get shot in the face necessarily, but any gore at this point would be satisfying. Um, so, yeah, so now at this point, you know, my heart's racing. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Um, after he shoots Tommy, the camera shows that Tommy is deader than shit, laying on the ground. His eyes are open, bullet hole in his head. Uh, Luke then attacks June, jumps on top of her. It almost looks like he's trying to sexually assault her. He throws her into the, into the front of the killer's truck. And then Tommy, or excuse me, and then uh, Luke gets on top of her. You know, he's obviously being real aggressive. He's telling her, shut up, bitch, you deserve this, blah, blah, blah. And like I said, he, he gets on top of her like he's going to rape her. But then the camera goes to a shot outside the truck and the shot starts to fade, uh, um, pan away from the truck. And suddenly, as the screen fades to black, we hear two shots ring out, two just single gunshots ring out. Um it is now the next morning, and what we hear is the audio of a voicemail from June's would-be fiancé. Uh, his name is Matthew. He's basically just leaving your basic message, I miss you, I can't wait to see you, I can't wait to start our lives together, blah, 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 blah. And then as the uh, voicemail ends, what we see is uh, we see the truck, the killer's truck, and we still see Luke's patrol car still has the lights on still in the exact same positions they were the, the night before. But then suddenly the passenger side door opens and we see June crawl out of the truck. So, you know, like I said, we've already had the major left turn. Now we basically have to go without the death of our, what I guess is our main antagonist. Um, like I said, once we're done here, which is only going to be another couple of minutes, We'll start talking about theories as to what the hell Luke's role in this whole thing was, but we'll get to that in a little bit. So, so like I said, June 
has survived the night. It looks like she is our final girl, our only survivor of the events of the night before. Then what we see is a almost like a repeat of the original scene where there's a guy driving a truck by himself. Only difference is this time it's Earl. It's Lance Hendrickson driving a truck, probably going to work or something. And same thing as the opening scene. He pulls up to a body in the road and he gets out to check it. But this time it's this, it's still the killer. But this time there's blood all around the killer and you can see where the killer kind of dragged himself from the distance. You can see like the drag marks in the sand. Um, Lance kicks the body a couple of times to make sure it's dead, which I actually found hysterical. And then the very last shot of the movie shows the damn same cliche that we've seen a thousand fucking (laughs) times before. The killer opens his eyes and the movie fades to black. And that is the dead of night 2021. Ah, okay. We got to talk about this ending. I mean, what, what did you guys think was going on when Luke took the shot on Tommy? Like, did you have ideas? Cause I had ideas and obviously none of them panned out. What'd you guys think? I uh, confusion. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay, uh, my initial idea was that it's not the killer laying in the middle of the road. It's actually the deputy. He's only making it look like it's some. It was. He's making it look like it's like some kind of car accident or something, like just off the road, and he's like dragged himself back onto the road to get help, but he's like collapsed. Like that's the general scene that he's trying to set up, but uh-huh. it's actually the deputy, not the not the killer. Hmm, that's odd. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's valid. Um, it just seems odd that the deputy would take the headdress off the one guy he shot, put it on, and then, because he obviously was shot twice, because you could see the blood trail um, leading from the desert. So obviously this guy, whoever it is, be it the sheriff or the larger killer, obviously dragged themselves to the road. But yeah, uh, I don't know, man. I, uh, started it's just based, saying, I mean, it's based on one viewing, so it's not like I have like a lot of time to figure it out. Sure, sure. I mean, I watched it twice for whatever that's worth, but in all honesty, the second viewing did not help. It didn't help my overall rating, and it didn't help my comprehension of the ending. I started to think, okay, so is Luke in cahoots with these two killers? Like, are they maybe his killers for hire, and he purposely sent them to take out June and Tommy because of, you know, past indiscretions or whatever, or, you know, just flat-out jealousy? I mean, granted, don't forget, Tommy and June are brother and sister, so this was never a romantic triangle type thing. Um, June broke up with Luke for whatever reason. We never find out why, though we could probably take a good guess because Luke really is an asshole throughout most of the movie. Um, So, you know, he was probably a domineering douchebag um, towards June, blah, blah, blah. So, like I said, that was one theory that maybe he actually hired these guys to do something. And then another theory I was thinking was that he has nothing to do with those two whatsoever and that he just took advantage of a situation. Like once he asked June and Tommy if anybody else was alive and they said no, I'm thinking maybe he just saw the opportunity to kill Tommy to basically get rid of the guy that's been the thorn in his side for, you know, probably his whole life and then get one more throwdown with June before then killing her. And, of course, with him being the deputy and there being no witnesses, he could easily convince the sheriff that, oh, 
Tommy was in cahoots with these two killers. They attacked me. Then June attacked me because I shot Tommy. You know, obviously he's a cop. This is before body cams and things like that and dash cams. So, you know, obviously the cop could have said whatever he wanted and probably gotten away with it. Um, Because he can't lie about shooting Tommy because, you know, they're going to pull the bullet out of his head and it's, you know, it's going to match his gun. So that was another theory I had. Um, I I thought of a couple more and they're kind of slipping my mind right now. Did you have anything different, Mike? Any theories, maybe? I mean, you would have you have to assume that like he he's involved or there because I don't know what the motive if he's not like part of them or related in some fashion. I don't understand the motivation behind doing what he did. But but like having only seen the movie once, I don't have enough reference, you know, because sometimes movies will lay little hints every so often in scenes but with my one watch i don't remember picking up anything to suggest like oh i can like point to this or that and say oh that's tipping me off a little bit like i i have i'm just clueless yeah that's that's my thing too is it's just the one watch well, for whatever it's worth, like I said, I watched it a second time, and the only real animosity I ever saw between Tommy and Luke was the one scene where he questions him, where he goes to Tommy's ranch and then questions him, you know, the morning that they find the bodies. And admittedly, he was being a dick. You know, he was basically saying, oh, seems pretty uh, coincidental that, you know, you're the one who found these bodies even though we had a report of you shooting at some kids last month who were trespassing on your property, blah, blah, blah. But regardless, nothing that happens in the film or nothing that it, that's implied in the film would suggest that Luke wants to kill Tommy. You know what I mean? It, it, it's not like Tommy stole his girlfriend. You know, it's not like Tommy kicked his ass in high school. I mean, he might have, but we don't know about it. So, yeah, they just they leave that plot point much like the Richard Hall plot point. They leave this one completely dangling. No idea why Luke does what he does. Um, Obviously, June survives, but, you know, I'm pretty sure she's not going to Germany this morning. Anyway, she's (laughs) her trip's going to be delayed at the very least. But and and she's obviously not going to stay in New Mexico because now literally she has no family. The last of her family is dead. And what seemed like her only two good friends in the town are now gone because no one else showed up to her uh, going away party. So mm-hmm. I assume these were probably the only friends that she or the only good friends that she had in the town. So, yeah. but yeah, as far as explaining Luke and his actions, no fucking clue. Listeners, if you have any ideas, by all means, hit us up on the Facebook page. Let us know what you think. Are we way off base? Did we miss something? I mean, potentially, you know, I am taking notes as I'm watching these movies, so it's not completely inconceivable that I could have missed something. So hit us up. Let us know what your theories are. And if anybody involved in the production of this film happens to be listening to my voice right now, by all means, hit us up and, you know, uh, let us, if you have any insight or if you have anything that you want to share about you know, the last five minutes of this movie, by all means, it would be greatly appreciated. So I don't know. I don't know what else can be said about this one. I obviously enjoyed it more than you two guys, 
Um, like I said, I was for the first 85 minutes, I was on board. I was loving the movie, basically. Like, I was ready to declare it a top 10 contender. And then literally the last five minutes happen, and it's like, eh. That brought it down to, like, average to maybe even below average. Because, like I said, I mean, these are all tropes. One of them, the, the thing with the killer opening his eyes at the end, I am so fucking sick of that trope. Filmmakers, if you're hearing me, stop it. Stop trying to set up a franchise. Stop trying to set up a sequel. Just make a good movie. If the movie's good and uh, it warrants a sequel, we'll get the sequel. You don't have to give us that stupid bullshit at the end. Like, literally, if the movie would have ended with Lance just kicking the guy uh, in the road and then it just fades to black right there, I would have liked the movie head and shoulders better. But because of the stupid fucking cliche of the killer opening his eyes right before the credits just ruined almost my entire experience. Because obviously at this point, we've already gone through the Luke deception and have left ourselves scratching our heads as to what the hell that implied. So I'm sorry I'm rambling, folks, but I am just so thoroughly confused about the last act of this film. <laughs> I'm hoping that by verbalizing uh, <laughs> ideas in my head, maybe something will make sense. True. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, because <laughs> none of them have it so far. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's well, I guess gonna wrap this up? Uh, let's talk uh, where we can be heard elsewhere. Venom. What do you got? All right. The main show. No more room in hell. Uh, latest episode covers two Finnish horror films. Our, oh, I'm sorry. And then the next episode that should be released any day now, our newest episode, we actually look at a couple of Crocodile films that were Mike's picks for the for the show. Those films were 1976's Eaten Alive and 1989's Killer Crocodile. Guess what Killer Crocodile's about? Hmm. An alligator? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that's the latest episode of No More Room in Hell. Uh, like I said, should be available hopefully sometime this week. Um, probably right around the same time that this episode you're listening to right now will be ready. Um, on It's Not Horror Okay, as I have mentioned over the last couple of weeks, we recently did a 1980s Airplane, one of my favorite comedies of all time. Probably the most fun I've ever had doing a commentary. That's uh, available on the Dark Discussions Podcast Network, which is, of course, our home as well. Uh, let's see, on In the Mic of Madness, which is now a Dark Discussions podcast. Yes, uh, Rebecca apparently got sick of the lack of effort from her previous network, and she has now joined the Dark Discussions network. So now all of my shows, except for one, are on Dark Discussions. So that's pretty cool. Um, and on that latest episode of In the Mic of Madness, we look at a couple of technological horror films. We look at the recently released Willy's Wonderland and 1987's Maximum Overdrive. I think it's 87. Um, 86. So we, 86. Okay, 86's Maximum Overdrive. So check out that episode. That'll be our first episode on the Dark Discussions podcast network so you may have to anybody out there who's hearing me who's subscribed to that show may want to resubscribe after the new episode comes out since it is a new network uh what else do i got going on and we finally have a record date for the next episode of underwater kaiju from outer space so you'll be able to hear don and myself 
Um, and, and plus our hosts, uh, Jerry Herring and Derek B. We will be talking Gamera. Yes, that giant turtle that kids around the world love. We'll be looking at um, Gamera versus uh, Barugan. And then, of course, continuing our retrospective of the original Ultraman series with, I believe, episode 24, I think is right. what we're up to. Cool. Um, and and then one guest spot that I had that I mentioned earlier in the show, I was recently on Cut to the Chase with Dan Chase and Lacey Liu, and we discussed my favorite Alfred Hitchcock movie called Rope from 1948, which is actually Alfred Hitchcock's first color film, and it's also the film that's basically presented as one long cut. Obviously, you know, because of uh, film reels, the whole film couldn't literally be one cut because they have to change reels. But basically, they only cut the film when they're changing reels. So basically, the whole movie consists of 10-minute long scenes with some beautiful camera work, too. I mean, for people who don't know, uh, those color cameras in 1948 were gigantic. I mean, they were like over six feet tall. It took a couple of people to operate them. Yet these guys were able to do uh, a series of one-take little scenes uh, while moving through this rather small penthouse apartment setting. So if you haven't seen the film, by all means, check it out. And if you've seen the film, join us on the next episode of Cut to the Chase, also on the Dark Discussions Podcast Network. And that's it for me, Mike. All right. Uh, Don, how about you? Um, well, uh, like Venom said, uh, we've finally managed to get our schedules aligned, and we're going to be doing uh, Gamma versus Barugon on Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space. Um, other than that, uh, there's a few potential guest spots that I have lined up, More, most likely going to be towards the end of the month. I uh, can't really say much because we haven't uh, locked anything down or gotten anything confirmed, set in stone at least. But um, more than likely, look forward to a few more spots of mine towards the end of the month. Uh, other than that uh, the only thing that I have is uh, my continuing series of interviews on my website for Women in Horror Month. If anyone wants to check them out, um, it's donshorrorworld.blogspot.com. All right, and as far as I go, uh, what Venom said, I got nothing else to add to that this time. <laughs> um, all right, well. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Fresh Cuts. Venom, you have any idea, anything uh, looking at you for next episode yet? Um, uh, I can chime in here. Um, I think this could probably qualify as a back-to-back Shutter Week. They just dropped Lucky and then Slacks the last two weeks. Oh, Slacks is on there now? Slacks is this coming Friday, but oh, I'm just okay, saying yeah. Slacks is coming up Friday the week we're recording this lucky was released last week so i'm thinking we would do lucky next week and then slacks the week after not that i want to program the show but just yeah yeah just offering suggestions yeah and i mean we got options so right all right well we will definitely figure it out before next week and get uh get something going but uh with that said thanks everyone for listening let's say goodbye to the listeners Later.
Adiós.